Hey, Joe, this is the last episode of, of this season. Oh, no, what a sad note to end, to start the podcast on for that. <laughs> we should say that at the end of the episode. Too late. I was Let's go prepare thinking. them, prepare our I, listeners well, for what's going to happen. I just, I feel like I I was thinking about it because our goal this uh, season was to record more in studio and due to everyone's schedules, we recorded our very first episode this season in a studio. And this is our and final last. episode. That we, <laughs> so we've nice bookended it. <laughs> it was a good one though, wasn't it? It was. We had Robin Ince on. Uh, I think Robin Ince might be my hero. I, I Genuinely, I think he might be my favorite comedian. Well, I, obviously we haven't edited it yet so i don't know what you're leaving in but at one point you say you robin is one of those people whose career you you would like to have like totally. who would you model and as you said that and i didn't get i didn't get a chance to say it as we were recording because uh and i say this with love robin had a lot to say um <laughs> Uh, but as soon as you said that, I was like, Joe, you are doing it. Look at you touring the bookshops with your books and I'm like becoming Robin Entz. You're That's my doing dream. it. <laughs> you're doing it. So, Robin, if those of you who haven't heard of him, he is a stand up comedian. He is an author. He does a lot of like comedy. Would you call him comedy lectures? I get well. He's best known for Infinite Monkey Cage, I guess, isn't he? With Brian, he, Professor Brian Cox. Yeah, he works um, a lot with Professor Brian Brian Cox. Uh, he's just like a professional, interesting person, isn't he? That's it. Yeah. He's very funny as well. But he's just he knows about everything. Is interested about everything, and is interesting talking about science and literature and film and music, and it, it, he knows about everything. And you know, at the beginning of every year, my goal is always to read more. And to talk to him and just have him drop all these beautiful references, some of which I was vaguely aware of, some of which just made me go, I need to pick up a fucking book. Like, <laughs> oh, this... listeners, you will need a paper and pen for this episode to oh, yeah. make notes. There's a lot of recommendations. Uh, it's, and you uh... might want to listen to it on, on 0.5 speed when you're listening as well. <laughs> yeah, most people most people say, hey, this might be long. Maybe speed it up to get through the message quickly. <laughs> Slow it down. Slow it down. Uh, but it was a lovely conversation. And uh, we were talking about voices in the head. And uh, but by the way, Joe, we never got into it too much when we were recording with Robin. What do you talk to yourself? What What's going on in your head? Yeah, I, th- I think I run through scripts of things before I'm going to meet people, how I will talk about things. Um, and particularly if it's like a possible tricky situation if i have to return something to a shop i find that very stressful so i will be running through different scenarios of what it might be like when i return something to a shop um before i go in so um i guess i do what do they call it scripting i guess is what i would do Mm. um which is maybe a little bit different to what what you and robin were talking about yeah i'm more daydream conversations like what if Mm. you know uh but can i we a couple strange questions, but I've realized not everyone's uh, mind works like this. Do you see things? Um, Do you have a visual? Uh... I've never got. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like if like I not, say, a- I don't know how clear it is for other. Yeah, I can. I can imagine a, a visually an apple. I'm not sure how clear it is for other people, but I can. Yeah, I can visualize an apple. and visualize it. Yeah, red apple with a bit of green on it and a okay, and a little um, stem on the top. Yeah. 
Because my partner and I were talking and he he visualizes, but he says everything's like quite muted colors, like everything's gray. Right. Like he doesn't really see a lot of color in his imagination. Ah. What do you here's a question, which is not exactly about talking uh to yourself, but Tom once asked me this. I think it's interesting. What do you see when you're listening to music? What do I see? When you're listening um, to music. I don't know. I tell you what though, I do I think this is why I like music a lot. I am a bad singer. And I am mm. a bad singer in my mind as well. So <laughs> I, if I imagine a tune, I can't imagine Beyonce singing it. I imagine me singing it badly. So that's why I have to listen to music so much because I, I need the real thing. Oh, wow. So you can't. So I find it very can't... hard to imagine music. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you can't like recall Beyonce singing single ladies in your head. It's you going, oh, the single lady. Oh, the single lady. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just me. <laughs> That's somehow adorable, but it almost sounds. I, I, it's quite I sad. This, yeah. Yeah, it sounds really tragic. <laughs> That's why I need the real thing. Yeah. I've got to listen to proper music. Go, oh, no, it's like that. Oh, wow. I can hear music in my head. Like, can if you? I, yeah, like if I wanted pictures, say, like uh, the theme to Star Wars, I can hear it down to the. Uh, triangle which uh, rolls for eight bars at the beginning of that song which is the best use of a triangle in any musical piece ever in that's my quite opinion. exciting your life must be so much more dramatic you could just imagine some dramatic music yeah well i sometimes if i don't have headphones in i will just kind of sometimes i sing to myself like i will hear my own voice but yeah i can just like listen to music in my head Problem is, is I have a poor memory. So like I can hear the Star Wars theme, but it's five minutes long. And I've probably got about the first 45 minutes just on repeat. Right. In my head. So you, you can properly like soundtrack your life though. Yeah. If there's like a, something dramatic happens, you could do, you know, that bit of music in films that like goes dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So you can put that on in your head and make life more dramatic. <laughs> totally. That's, that's very exciting. I wish I could do that. Me, I would just be imagining myself going da 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 like that. <laughs> you, you, uh, your soundtrack to your life is like the um, the university uh, sketch comedy troupe performance, where it's like yes. they don't <laughs> yeah. they don't have the licensing, so they're just there being like. <laughs> oh, my imagination doesn't infringe on any copyright at all. It's <laughs> completely you can put, put it wherever you want. Yeah. Yeah, I can't put my uh, I can't put my imagination on YouTube. It would be, I'd get in trouble. <laughs> It'd be taken down. Uh, I, I, we talked a bit about talking out loud as well. I'm always fascinated by like, I think talking out loud to yourself is like one of the most subversive like countercultural things you can do because it's like it's so like the our image of our sort of stereotypical image of like a crazy person is someone who talks to themselves. You know, that's such like, uh, if someone does that, that's such like a shunned thing in society. So mm. I think people that are happy talking to themselves in public, I think that's a very, um, very punk rock thing to do. I like that view of it. I've never considered that before, but you're right. I remember one time when I was in New York, I was dating a guy and he was also a stand up comedian and uh, like, you know, we woke up, he went to go take a shower and I could hear him just talking. 
I was like, what were you doing in there? Because like, he wasn't singing in the shower. He was like talking. He was practicing his stand up. Ah, doing routine in the shower. Yeah. Now that I, I don't think I could bring myself to do. No, particularly in the shower as well. I feel like I'd feel too vulnerable to, um, <laughs> to practice stand up in the shower. Too vulnerable all alone, uh, but naked. <laughs> You're naked doing stand up. That's like some people's worst fear. To be, yeah, I don't want to ever associate my stand up with nakedness. <laughs> uh, should we? Should we get into it? Yes, let's let's bring on Robin. Yeah, I feel like we could keep talking about how minds work, but uh, maybe for a Patreon, we can just dig into this. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here is Robin Ince. Is Robin Ince? I mean, like another time that I can hear voices is doing Infinite Monkey Cake, because that the the radio show that I do with Brian Cox is um, he always says to me again things that I didn't realise that are now really blindingly obvious in terms of the way a brain works. You know the way because you just go it's just me and just get over it and blah, and then you realise once you've got a pattern. And Brian would often go, "What on earth was that question?" <laughs> and I think I know what it was. What it was was this person just said something and it inspired a question in me but as that question started coming out my mouth it created another question because it was something I became more interested in in terms of the orb weaving spider but halfway through that question of the second part of a question that's not really attached to the first part actually a third question came out and so when then the uh, you know uh, arachnid expert says sorry I didn't really understand that I think oh hang on a minute let me break this out bit by bit (laughs) and like things like that and that is when my mind will partly I suppose I'm not totally in control because I'm you know doing a show and there's other people there and that's the one where I I'm all the time going oh should I bring in the the comedian no 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 I think it's going to break up that oh god that's a, that's a great joke about toads actually now nah, it's too late to put you know that is when I can see a roller deck various roller decks going on mm-hmm. Tom Horton calls that li- lily padding that when he says something then then you've got to work back like the frogs jumped on lots of lily pads you've got to work back and work out what the lily pads are to where you got that that's great because it's very hard for a frog to go backwards yeah, yeah. <laughs> why that yeah yeah. <laughs> So when you talk to yourself, so I talk to myself constantly. So when I found out this was the topic, I was like, I have so many things to say. Uh, I talk to real people in my head. Let me explain. Uh, So what I'll do is I'll have a whole conversation with Joe on my way to the podcast. And and therefore, when I show up, I'll be like, I'll often then like my boyfriend catches me at this all the time. He'll be like, have you had this entire conversation on the way home? Because <laughs> I'll just walk in and start blurting stuff out. And I'm like, that's not the point. But um, so, so I, you're scripting, basically. I'm I'm having a conversation with people I know constantly, which does cr- mean that sometimes I create a false friendship. That isn't <laughs> true. Um, uh, but that's how I like I don't talk to myself. I don't talk to Abigail, but I'll leave this this recording and continue talking to you, Robin Ince. Yeah. When I'm gone. So who are you talking to in your head? Are you talking to yourself? Are you talking to people? 
It really depends. Do you see things? It's quite often it is, I have lots of, like, if I've just caught a tiny bit of TV as I walk past a room, I will suddenly go into a narrative of some kind of bizarre episode of, you know, Antiques Roadshow, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Or very often I've got weird, I'll, I'll hear a word and it'll make me think of a ridiculous cabaret act. So for some, sometimes I'll just be walking around the house and I've ventriloquized grow <laughs> Right, like that. Like that, I'm doing that. So it's not very good ventriloquism, right? But I will be, uh, I'm Mike Yamo and I'm Tony Be There and we are Yamo Be There and then I'll just imagine this terrible cabaret called Yamo Be There who constantly sing Yamo Be There so a lot of it is weird little fragments of ridiculous uh, yeah a lot of it is kind of monologues or dialogues from things that I've just picked up that I've just heard on the radio yeah suddenly I will be this terrible DJ introducing a fictional song which is sung in a made up language because that was when I think I first realised... I remember doing some observational comedy, but it was very much broken down as to be very specific. So it would start off where I would say, this was about 20 years ago or more, I, I, I would, I, to connect with the audience, I'd say, who here sometimes sits up in their bed until their back really starts to ache, just so they can then lean back into the pillow and go, mmm, comfy, <laughs> and then gets up again, right? And then I'd get a certain number of people that would react. And then I would say, and it would get like, you know, who sometimes dances to a song made up uh, uh, of a fictional language uh, in their own head? And I would get a certain number of people. And that, I think, I didn't realise it at the time, really was the start of going, okay, this is a subcategory of human. Um, (laughs) But there's more of us than we might imagine. Yeah, so true. Because I remember, I'm going to do that awful thing where you say to a comedian, they used to do that bit where you said that. They used to do a bit about observational comedy, but then all the observations were very niche. Very, very specific to me. Yeah, Yeah, they were basically, yeah... Do you remember what was one of them? Uh, uh, yeah, one of them I never mentioned now because I, I look back and I feel really bad about it because it, I shouldn't have done that on stage uh, because it involved real people. You know that bit? Yeah. <laughs> but it would, be, uh, it would be things like, do you remember when you were nine years old and you got the school bus and you thought, oh, today's the day that I'm going to, uh, like all the other boys, say thanks, Duffy, to the driver because then I'll be like part of them. And then you got just to the driver and accidentally it didn't come out as thanks, Duffy. It came out, thanks, Mr. Doughboy. And he was quite a fat man. And he grabbed you by the arm and he started shouting at you and shouting at you and shouting at you. And a little bit of wee came out because you were so scared. Do you remember that? (laughs) And and so that was the kind of ilk of it. That was, yeah, it was about 25 years ago I used to do do those ones. Um, And then I suppose even that was the route to something. That was, uh, except most, almost everything that I did, anything more than 10 years ago, uh, must be destroyed uh, in my (laughs) mind in a Stalinist rewrite perpetually. (laughs) Do you ever sp- talk out loud to yourself, or is it all? Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. I talk out loud to myself. Okay. Uh, I like I said, I, I sing out loud, I talk out loud. loud. Yeah, yeah, I'm very aware. I, I just, I, I wander around, and it's like, and it is. I, I think it is to get the the voices out, not in a, an evil way. It's just that bit, which is because there's so like when you were talking about having a script in your head, yeah, right. That's I would end up doing that, and I would be certain what I was going to say, and then the moment that I saw the person, of course, another. A totally different ideas triggered and everything is lost. So you go, I'm muscular, I'm going to prepare that. I'm going to say that. I'm going to now listen, we've really got to talk about this situation with the plates, blah, 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 blah. And then that is entirely wiped. You know, in the same yeah. way, I imagine both of you have those, you know, a, a, an average day is you wake up to do the first task of the day. You remember what it is, it's to reply to an email. So you open it up, but of course there's an email at the top of it. And that means you've now erased the fact that you were meant to be, because that's, that's no longer, that, that's an entirely different thing. And then you spend the rest of the day constantly starting things but actually doing something else sometimes Mm. actually walking up to the fridge opening it 
and getting not the thing you originally thought you were going to get, getting out something entirely different, mm-hmm. and then beginning to eat it, and then realizing it's not edible, and <laughs> then going, oh yeah, that was an error. I've remembered why I went to the fridge, but my brain quickly went, I've totally forgotten to just make anything up. Just take these old sponges out or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that is, you know, that's part of the process as well. Yeah, I, th- I think I, that, that's more your neurotype. My neurotype is that I have the script in. I'm going to say this, this, and then they'll say this, and I'll say this. And then I'll go and meet that person, and then they'll get their lines wrong. And then it completely. Oh. Uh, but no, I've worked on this play, like, and now you're doing improv. What's going on? Sorry, I, I just want to clarify. I don't, I don't script like what is going to be said when I meet someone. I'm just having imaginary conversations. Oh, you're building up head. to right. three. So, so yeah. So like, like what happens? Like say, like because my partner, like I says, he'll be like, "Have you been having this conversation the whole time?" <laughs> so if if we are if we've had a bit of a, a tiff. And then I leave the house and go do the shopping. And then I come back and I just like burst out and like all of like this whole soliloquy comes out. He's like, have you been talking about this the whole time? And I'll, I will, I don't talk out loud on purpose, but every once in a while I'll just like all of a sudden like I'll be having an imaginary story in my head and I'll just be like under my breath. I'll be like the pudding's raw. And it doesn't make any <laughs> sense to anyone. Or what I'll do is I'll be sitting there, like we'll be watching TV, and I'll be imagining something in my head. I'll start gesturing like I'm having a conversation. Um, And, yeah, yeah. so I'll just all of a sudden, like my dad used to do it too. I'll just start to, like, do this sort of thing. And Tom will just look at me and be like, so are you winning the argument this time? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not arguing. I'm an Olympic weightlifter right now. Shit, I do that. I've just – and I I will – I start, I'll pull faces sometimes. Like I would pull mm. the face in that. And then my wife will say, are you upset about something? And I'm just like, oh, no, I'm, I'm annoyed about an argument that happened two weeks ago with someone else. Yeah. And I'm playing it in my head and I'm pulling the face that I should have pulled when we had that yeah. Oh, pulling faces, I think. That, that I would especially, that bit when you're walking home. And you might not necessarily have the words of the argument you're going to have or the conversation you're going to have, but you have got all the faces. Yeah. <laughs> You've got such a, you know, an incredible catalogue of scowls that are going to be <laughs> and, 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 and a hint of admonishment, which, you know, Pinter could not have scripted. You know, all of those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... Yeah, I've had people say they've seen me walking down the street and they're like, you look so angry. And I'm like, I'm just I'm just talking to myself. I'm actually <laughs> in quite a good mood. It's just my resting face is just like. <laughs> do you ever do, you know, the thing like it's like a sort of cliche in like a sitcom where like someone like often the wife will be annoyed that the husband's cheated in a dream. Is that do you ever have a thing where someone says something in an argument in your head and you're annoyed about it? Does that affect you in real life? Not uh, probably. If you ask my boyfriend, he'd say yes. <laughs> um, in my head, I'm just carrying on the conversation, and then when I get home, my thoughts are now organized, so I can I can correctly voice my my feelings and my thoughts. Mm. But um, he, he might say that I've just gotten angrier within the half hour. <laughs> um, uh yeah, so I don't know. It's tricky. I I mean I've never I've never had that thing where my boyfriend has said he's had a dream about uh being with someone else and told me and I felt jealous, but I have woken up after having a sexy dream and been like I'm so ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so so ashamed of myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I th- isn't the cliche that the dream is that the partner cheats? So you would have a dream 
that Tom cheated and uh, then you'd wake up and be like annoyed of him for something that you didn't really do but did in your dream. Yeah. No, I haven't had that, I don't think. I think all of my whenever I get uh, upset and continue the conversation once I leave the house, in my opinion, all of my thoughts uh, that I then voice once I'm home are very valid. But it could be argued that I am uh, taking a conversation that did not exist and then um, and then getting more upset because I have an idea about how he feels about the situation. Right. That he's like, that's not what I think at all. He's like, that's not how I feel. And I'm like, yes, you do. And he's like, no, I – You've got – what is this imaginary person you have of me in your head? I'm not that – I don't care that much about any of this. It's just the dishwasher. And I'm like, it's so much more than the dishwasher. Yeah, I think the answer is yeah. I hate to admit it. We, we've clipped this out. Totally, clip yeah. this out. <laughs> I will not let Tom know that I, he's right. That's, it's interesting actually to me, which is – because I think that bit of emotional sensitivity, which is actually very often not sensitivity, it's entirely a misjudging of how angry someone is with you, how you've let someone down, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And that bit where you are determined, yeah, in a similar way to that, that bit where you know there's someone in the front row who's looking going, this is the worst night of my life, this comedian has stolen my time. In that same way you can fix that, that sense of why someone else is feeling bad and how you've made them feel bad. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and then I remember Josie saying to me once about I don't know how like there's certain events that I have like they go back to when I was about four which I have very keen emotional memory of and when I even think about it they make me feel sick to mm-hmm. you know some things happen, all that stuff and Josie was talking about once where she had an argument with her sister when she was like quite little and she felt bad about it for years and years and years and years and years and then one day she thought I've just got to bring this up because I just still feel so bad about it and she said to her sister do you remember that time that I did that and look I'm just really sorry and her sister went what I don't remember that so that to me is an interesting part of that network I don't know how connected it is to the network of all the thoughts and all that that fact that if you don't have dead space if you don't have silence because if I have silence then the moment that it stops I go what have I been doing like if I'm sat on a train because I'm always thinking about something or other or I'm reading or I'm reading and thinking about something or other or other but there might be a moment where my brain just stops creating noise where I, therefore my consciousness goes. You know, like people say when they drive, don't they? They often don't remember the hour. If I don't remember three seconds, I'll be like paranoid. I'll go, oh my God, what happened in that silence? Mm. Did I stand up and scream? Did I start something? You know, it's everyone now thinking, see that madman who did that thing? You know what? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. the importance of having perpetual activity is also the importance, I think, of uh, you are, because you're always creating something, you're always awake and you're always alive. But it's, it's like with Brian Cox. I talk, He never understands anything that I say a lot of the time. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he will go, but I just sometimes have silence. I just have quiet. And I've sp- spoken to other people, and some people have periods of quiet. Because I remember when I went to a therapist briefly, the, her, her final diagnosis was, it just sounds exhausting being you. Wow! <laughs> that, that was the, uh, that, that was that. And, and I thought, and that, again, those voices, which are now far more positive predominantly, but still, that was the first time I really focused on the fact that, yeah, 
when you're thinking all the time, you've got a voice that is commentating the whole time, a kind of hypervigilance on what are you thinking? What you know? I, I, I mean, I don't think it will happen now. It might happen today. It's happening a little bit, but not very much. Not as much as it used to. Which is the moment I would leave here, I would send you both messages. I would apologise for the fact that it was shit. I would <laughs> say, I know, I, I just sorry, I just I was I don't know what happened there. Blah blah. Yeah, all of that stuff. And it was that thing and then a couple of other people said things to me at the summer festivals that just and I was going oh yeah it's really tiring and now it's not nearly as tiring Mm -hmm. because by using anti-anxiety pills I don't it has really cut it down um, I was walking through London going to the horror show. If you've not been to the horror show, have you been to the horror show? No. Have you the been to the show. horror show? No. Have you been to the horror show? You must go to the horror show. It's at Somerset House. It's not a long walk from here. It oh, I is think it by is Ian and Jane. Yeah. It is the work of Derek Jarman and Alice Lowe. And it is. it starts off in the 1980s. You walk in, it's Bauhaus's Bella Lugosi's Dead, which is fantastic percussive opening. There's the most magnificent leather jacket covered in images of Susie Sue. There is an image of the punk Jordan who who is a very, very fascinating person. Then you see a painting by Noel Fielding. And you, and it's just, and it's like, the first room is monster. Then it's, uh, I think it's monster, ghost, witch, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. And it is, oh man, it's so good. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, okay. Derek Jarman's Blues playing throughout as well. You can go and see that. All these clubbers as well. When you see these fantastic, like from about 1980, the Blitz Club, you know, we're just, just walking down the stairs in the most flamboyant costumes you can imagine, or the least costumes you can imagine, depending <laughs> on their choice that evening. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and you just yeah that's really good why did I mention that oh no anyway so I was on my way <laughs> to, uh, well done frog you did it in the reverse <laughs> but it was um, but I was walking there with, with, with my, my son and my wife and I suddenly had that moment of going wow I've just I've, I've noticed the lack of Anxiety. It's a bit like one of the spaces in the horror show is about that kind of negative space or non-space, like Rachel White Reed did, where she did a, a cast of a house. Mm. So it's about the space itself rather than. And I thought, yeah, God, for fifty years, my anxiety dialogue was perpetual, and now it pops up, but it's not. You know, it's it, it's brief. Sometimes mm. it's sharp, but often it's not even sharp anymore. And you just suddenly go, wow, that is. Uh, I've got a lot more energy. Yeah. You know, I've got, because I don't have to, you know, I'm still having the same number of thoughts, but they're not all on the same, you know, dull possibilities of shaming yourself somehow in public. Wow. Maybe I should take anti-anxiety pills. I really think <laughs> it's like, I mean, what I would say is for, for being by some way the oldest person in this room, and Ed Byrne said the other day, you're the person who's aged the most of anyone that I've known on <laughs> Um, we, uh, but of course, being Irish, it was wonderful and lyrical the way that he said I was nearly <laughs> dead. Um, but uh, I totally accept that as well. It's not a problem, not an issue. But it's uh, but that bit of realizing that you can go a very, very long way uh, with all of these things going on, which are ultimately detrimental, not merely to you, but probably to your partner and your loved ones and lots of other people. Mm-hmm. That bit of being able to address it at whatever age you are, it, it, I think it's, it's like when I, I did a show for Radio 4 called Reality Tunnel and the first one was about the kind of inner workings of our mind very manic did it with my friend Carl who's a genius producer and um, and I got a, a message from a guy who was 67 years old who said I've spent my whole life thinking that there was just something wrong with my brain and I, no one else thought like this and, and then listened to this and I realised there's probably loads of us aren't there and yeah. you go and that thing I mean that's why I love the existence of podcasts like this and this is why also you'll get the very dull people the Piers Morgans etc 
you know, who seem to have a problem with people actually being open about their inner selves. Yeah. Um, which is therefore why he always has to peddle hate because hate is that thing that there's that old line by James Baldwin, you know, the reason people hold on to their hate so tightly is if they um, gave them away, then they'd have to deal with their own pain. Mm. Um, or this one by Leonora Carrington's uh, son, great surrealist painter and author Leonora Carrington. Uh, and I'm going to misquote this, but he, he said, um, other people's happiness is a threat to anyone in emotional poverty. Oh, and, wow. and I thought that sense of all of these dialogues that are happening now, so many comedians, performers, so many people who are doing these fantastically open shows and uh, and very rarely are they self-indulged. You know that bit where people talk about the snowflake generation and I, I went to do, I think it was the West End Comedian of the Year run by Steve McLean or Steve mm-hmm. McLean um, he said oh, would you come and do a closing set I said yeah sure and I went and I saw all these comics most of whom were in their 20s and some of them were there, there, there was a, a, a very funny comic I can't remember his name he was a trans man and uh, talking about the great thing about being a trans man was you get to design your own penis and uh, all these <laughs> different thoughts on how he was going to design it and all all of the people, whatever they were talking about, even though some of them would have been talking about neurodivergence, some of them talking about trans issues, non-binary issues, none of it was po-faced. It was the most brilliant celebration filled with raucousness and absurdity. You know, it's a bit like, again, when Stuart Lee does that, what people think one of his shows is versus actually how also big and silly they are, even if they've got a point. Yeah. Sorry, what was the? Why did I say that? I don't know. That, no, I do think that thing of just this is what I, I I think is you know that bit where you think that when you go on stage or or, or when you go on stage or any of us you know, that we have the possibility of someone afterwards uh, not feeling as alone uh, rather than being united by oh yeah we hate those people too. You know, that, mm-hmm. that edgy comedy, which is, you know, which is basically Daily Mail comedy, more often than not. It's the kind of stuff you would have easily seen Katie Hopkins writing and similar people to that. That bit where, you know, oh, no, but comedy's always been about hate and stuff. No, no, it, it hasn't, actually. But uh, the, yeah. there's no point in arguing with you if that's what you've decided. You know, Lenny Bruce wasn't about hate. Lenny Bruce, you know, I think some of these, these guys think that they are, and they are predominantly guys, you know, think that they are like Lenny Bruce. And you go, no, Len- Lenny Bruce was progressive. Lenny Bruce mm. was fighting yeah. against a society which was not broadening a vision. So, yeah, and that's how the voices help. I I don't know how that links, but I thought if at the end I say that's how the voices help, then it appears. (laughs) See, that's the difficulty between writing and performing. Whenever I write a book, I suddenly have to go, oh, yeah, I'm not able to create an illusion of connectivity, (laughs) which, of course, we can all do when we're on stage. Do you feel... Because that that sort of... um, The stuff you're... The negative stuff you're saying about, you know, overplaying stuff and and you're messaging people and saying, oh, I, I messed that up, you know... I feel like I do that, but it's also connected to a sort of... It's like the same brain pattern, but I can use it in a useful way. And one of the things I've been trying to do recently is after gigs is put some music on in the car and do do that thing, but do it about a bit of material and replay it over a man. So instead of going, oh, I said that thing and I look stupid, I look rude or whatever, I go, oh, that joke didn't quite work. What if I said it like this? What if I said it like that? Mm. And it becomes useful... Um, how, how? Yeah. Do you, do you feel is that relatable? Yeah, I, but I, I think they're different things. Actually, I uh, think that negative voice is very often a voice that is not based on any evidence whatsoever. Mm. It's actually a demand to find out how somehow you let people down. Whereas that voice that you're talking about, I think, is a very important voice. That voice where you do go, 
that's not as good as it could be, or that went down quite quietly, or whatever it is. I think that's a very positive creative voice. And I, but I do think they're separate because I think one of them, though obviously they 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 spring from maybe a similar area, but one of them I think is almost a desire to have a sense that you have let people down, mm. and it, this right. kind of negative desire to destroy yourself or damage yourself. Whereas I think that is the, as you said, it's a very positive voice to go. Don't stay with the same material. Look at a joke. Think, hang on a minute. There's more to do than that. I'm sure I can change it. I'm sure it can move on. I think that that is the. But creative imagination, of course, that is again. That's one why, you know, the anxiety imagination is a remarkable imagination. You know that thing where suddenly you finally combat one of your anxieties, mm-hmm. and the moment you've done it, your anxiety imagination goes, "I've got another one." Yeah. <laughs> you go what? How did you do that? You've not even had a couple of minutes and you've already come up with, so it gets replaced. I always used to find that walking on set, you know, when I first did shows, one of the things I was worried about, what if I forgot the material? What if I, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But then I had enough material and I wasn't there. So then I would get, oh my God, what if I hadn't gone to the toilet and I should have gone to the toilet and then I'm standing there and suddenly I walk on set and go, thanks. Oh God, I need to go for a week. You know, all of the, so there's always something mm-hmm. that mm. will, until you manage to crush that, if you can crush it. Yeah. Can I ask, do you think your uh, anxiety and ADHD are related in some way? I, I mean, the anxiety was definitely the thing that I noticed first. The ADHD, you know, I always find it very interesting because, you know, that came from uh, uh, a lovely guy called, do you know, Jamie and Lion? I don't think so. Uh, part, oh, yeah. 1800 they, seconds of uh, autism. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, Lion's the... Well, not the bear. The, the yeah, dog. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's but yeah, because he just got in contact with me and, and and went through everything. So it's kind of. But I, I think they're all. I mean, in one way, the psychobabble version of me would say that everything. It, it's not necessarily something that that was born into me. It's it's perhaps incident based. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I, I was in a car crash when I was three years old. My mum was in a coma uh, and then oh, suffered wow. from depression afterwards. And because I was three, I thought it was my fault. And it was only at about 45 that while I, I didn't really want to put it in this book because I thought it's boring and it's nothing and it's just a car accident. And then suddenly, and it was around the same time that my mum died as well, suddenly it was like, oh, hang on a minute, when you're three and you think you've caused something so terrible and then when I did briefly have therapy, I suddenly had this moment where I turned, I didn't talk very much with the therapist because I'd spent 20 minutes thinking, oh, that's boring. I think you talked about that last week. You know, even though you're allowed to, you're allowed to. But it's like, uh, and then I'd have 10 minutes of a kind of flurry and then I'd get worried that I might overrun slightly and annoy her. So I'd then be quiet for the final 10 minutes as well. Really wasn't value for money. And, uh, but I, I remember once lying there suddenly going, oh no. And she said, what is it? I went, I've just seen my cliche. (laughs) I said, I've seen if I ever became well known enough for someone to make one of those plays about me, which goes, (laughs) of course, the thing that made him a comedian was. And it was that uh, once my mum had kind of, you know, come out of hospital and uh, and she had a lot of battles afterwards as well. But she would get sometimes during depressive periods and stuff, she would get extremely upset and she would she would be crying and I would go up and try and make her happy. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh no, you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like, and and, and uh, it's your rosebud moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I wouldn't get on a toboggan because my inner voice is too worried about what I'm going to do in the snow. So, <laughs> so I had to do it as a more internal. That's thing. such a comedian's impulse. Like, I've had a therapeutic breakthrough, but it's quite a hack one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll not, work not on this. I'll, take, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go away. I'll workshop it. <laughs> So I think that certainly would have exacerbated the anxiety. And then I think, I mean, to me, it does link with a lot of things. 
Um, but then again, there is that other bit, which is I've always had lots of thoughts and I've always had a kind of hypervigilance. It's, it's a very, I found school, I did not like school. I was always aware of being judged by other people, even when there was silence and there was no, do you know what I mean? You're always, so, so that was, was very, very strong uh, and has been for most, most of my life. You know, if you put me in any public area and I'll be, you know, again, it's, it's what I would kind of call, it's like a negative narcissism. You're self-obsessed, but in the worst way possible because you're imagining people are looking at you and going he's shit do you know what I mean but yeah. with a positive narcissist going I imagine someone's going what a great hat you know yeah. that, it's a different kind of thing but yeah I think that imagination I think they do feed into each other because yeah. it, it is you know and that inability to concentrate as well I've always found that fascinating because I think I always think the people used to imagine because I did a lot of book things that I kind of sit there and uh, I'm always there I'm very, just slowly reading a book as opposed to the fact that I'm diving into about seven books at once yeah. and then forgetting what most of the books are about you know what I mean it's yeah. that bit of again I'm, you just throw things in all the time well I remember the last gig you and I did was your uh, lovely gig at King's Place mm. uh, and there was a band there's a band wow. and uh, I did stand up with the band it was which great. was so much yeah. fun totally changed the way I did the piece and the it was piece. 1961 <laughs> the and it was Greenwich Village, yeah. wasn't it? And yeah. then oh, it was, was on great. there. Oh, it, was. <laughs> it was so much fun. So were they soundtrack a story? How does it work? So basically, I was like, this is, uh, I'm going to do this bit about meeting tourists on the train, and if you can just vamp with it. And they did, and it was amazing. Ooh. And um, afterwards, I told you how much I enjoyed that, and I'd love to do it again. And you, you were like, well, yeah, maybe we can maybe we can put together a show with, where there's live music. I've only got about eight things planned this weekend, <laughs> and, and I need at least ten more for, for, for the year. And I was like, that is the most ADHD thing I've ever heard. You're like, I need 27 projects in order to focus my mind. Oh, yeah, always. I mean, it's like I'm so lucky with Trent, you know, who produced it, who wasn't there this time because he had COVID. And, and it like, because Trent, I will ring him up. We talk probably three or four times a day. Trent, I've come up with an idea. We could do a documentary series about this. It'd be absolutely amazing. We get this person, this person, this person. But of course, then I actually need someone to corral it. And, yeah. And, and Trent is, yeah, the fact he works with Josie and me, uh, it's good actually because Josie's far less reliable than me. So I actually look like I'm quite good. <laughs> But, yeah, that that thing of not being able to just have one thing, and, yeah. and, I, and because it is, you know, I always write. I need to have a book on the go. I need to have uh, a, a, a tour on the go. I I need to be th- planning a documentary series that I'll do. And, and none of them are ever about money. It's never a financial thing. It is. I, in fact, I was a library rang me up and I said, yeah, sure. And uh, and and they said, oh, we can give you this. And I went, no, it's fine. You're a library. And then they went, how do you make a living? And I went. I might question that in July. Yeah, because if I can, I mean, that's actually the one thing that I'm most keen to do is work out as many ways as possible that don't involve mass media things like corporates and stuff where I can just go, if I can get two of those, I can then do everything else for free. Yeah. Because that's the other thing I think where you get, you know, I, I, I think a big change in me in terms of beginning to understand a lot of stuff was doing things like PBH's Free Fringe in Edinburgh mm. when I'd done the assembly beforehand and I'd done the Pleasance and I was like, oh, there's something about the power paranoia that I would have during Edinburgh uh, where they paid 15 quid on a Saturday night and it's only an hour long and that isn't really long enough and I didn't want them to pay 15 quid and then I used to after the show I would actually sit on a chair with my fingers in my ears going so I couldn't hear just in case anything was negative oh wow and then suddenly the next year and lots of people said oh don't do the free fringe what what will people think as if you know and I was like oh it doesn't matter does it and then suddenly you've gone from fingers in your ear to holding a bucket you know, waiting for people, not because they're being sick, by the way, people who don't know about it, because <laughs> they're uh, you, for, for putting money in, because it's just donations. And doing that, and then that also led to me properly being able to talk to the audience. Because yeah. a lot of people who come to my shows are people that I really like. 
and uh, as, as in, you know, the people who've become friends. That thing of, and again, I think I notice a lot, one of the things that I love is the more open you are on stage, the more open people will be with you uh, afterwards as well. But n- mm. never in, or I've certainly very rarely experienced it in an intrusive way, that someone will come up to you and just say, oh, I've been going through this or I've been going through that or whatever. And uh, it's like I was out it, at uh, w- the Wetter Workshop. Do you know the Wetter Workshop? No. Do you know the Wetter Workshop? No. Right, it's where they did all the special effects for Lord of the Rings. They do loads oh. of special effects for Marvel. Oh, wow. It's based in Wellington, New Zealand. And uh, it was a funny day as well because we were walking one direction and Slash from Guns N' Roses was in the other direction. <laughs> and I was busy talking to a swordsmith and he was more interested than me. <laughs> and, um, and it was just... One thing that I loved about it, the first reason I'll bring it up is... When you see in a space all of these people, again, in those perfect T-shirts, those, t- oh, man, you've got that, oh, I, lo- I love I Drink Your Blood, it's such a ridiculous film, isn't it? You know, and they've got those T-shirts on, and you know that someone's making weird little hairy feet and someone else making an animatronic head and, and someone else is making a kind of, you know, Greek mythology frisbee or whatever it is. And you look around and you see that all of these people, you think all of you would probably have been on the outside when you were at school you know mm-hmm. that who's that yeah. weirdo and now people pay lots of money to buy merchandise based on your imagination and to go and see the films that you are creating right which I really love and, and they came to the show that we were doing that night and I had such you know and the swordsmith looked like a swordsmith should you know for his night out he had his leather skirt on he had a big ponytail he had a crucifix which had been from special iron that he had smashed thinner and thinner and thinner yeah. and all of these things and everyone was very open and then I got chatting to the head of Weta who also gave me Peter Cushing's face but that's a separate issue and um, well hold on you need to dial back a little bit no no no, no. <laughs> Well, okay, there was a, again a lovely thing that once you start picking up on other people, and because I think the better you get to know your own mind, actually the better you can sometimes project yourself into others in a useful way. But it's like we went into this room that was just filled with life masks of, of all these people who had makeup, you know. So, so there was Meryl Street, there was David Bowie's life mask from Man Who Fell to Earth when he had the makeup on that. There were three different Vincent Prices, so you could see these different ages of Vincent Price, the different lines on his face. Oh, wow. There was Christopher Lee, there was Tor Johnson, the uh, from Plan 9 from Outer Space, all of these different things. And there was a Peter Cushing one. Of course, Peter Cushing had such a beautiful skeletal face. And and I said, oh, can I pick it up? Can I look at it? And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just started telling him some stories about Peter Cushing. And um, then I put it back on the wall. And then the next night when he came to the show, he brought a box with him. He went, I've got something for you. And he had had uh, a 3D printed, so exactly the same Peter Cushing life mask. So I now have wow. that in, you know, and... And, I, and what I love... Does that ever scare the shit out of you? Like when you're coming into your office and you catch it out of no. the... And you're like, oh my God, there's Peter Cushing's here. I feel home when Peter's there. <laughs> I love having it there. And I love looking I'd at it. I'd be so tempted to use it as a jelly mold. If you could, uh, <laughs> oh, well, you jelly. shouldn't yeah. have said that. Because we're, <laughs> we're going to have a party after you've done your uh, orchestral scat. Uh, there we um, go. Peter Cushing jelly. Greenwich Village. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there was... I, I think... I'm a lot more aware now. Of, I'd got aware a while ago, but I, I remember th- there were certain gigs that I've done where a parent's come up to me and said, my daughter just said, that's what my head sounds like. And that's a really nice thing oh, when, yeah, you, know, yeah. when you, you get that. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that I love, going back to that kind of people in the audience thing, is when I was chatting to the head of Wetter, he was saying, um, he said, oh, yeah, we just had these two German women staying with us who were really big Lord of the Rings fans. And sometimes people say, oh, God, aren't you a little bit worried? And he said, but the point is, my wife and I are huge Lord of the Rings fans. It just turns out that we also worked on the movie. So we have a lot in common with two people who are huge Lord of the Rings fans. And I think, again, that sense of communication 
because I think in you know in show business, whatever it is, very often this delineation isn't there. There are the audience, and there are the act. And one one of the things that I love about a lot of the stuff that I've seen, you know, is more and more. Again, I think that's you know, there's lots of people who are. You go and see a show, and when the show is over, you that's it. They're gone. Yeah. But you also see lots where you think, oh yeah, there's a really great shaded area of communication going on. Yeah. between the person on stage and the people sitting there. And I think that's just really, I think that's helpful for, for so many people, including mm. us. Like when, when Josie and Trent and me, when it was lockdown and we started doing every morning, we did a live show between eight and uh, between 10 and 11 with like as many guests we could find. Everyone was bored. And lots of people afterwards went, thanks so much for doing that. It really helped. But of course for us, we didn't have anywhere to perform. And... <laughs> The idea of just keeping all those voices in our head while our poor partners who've got so used to mainly having space because we're always on tour. Well, we're not anymore. So that bit of the trepanning equipment, you know, of, of letting the voices out is very useful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, over lockdown, we realized, me and my partner, that uh, our relationship is founded with me being gone half of the week. <laughs> and when I wasn't, it was hard for both of us. Hard for both of us. <laughs> love to know which conversations you've been building up to where did you go to build up your conversation because you've got nowhere to walk or did you have your 20 minutes exercise day, yeah. and he would always go i'll go straight after your 20 minutes exercise because otherwise <laughs> you know there'd be this so tsunami building we we spend uh we spent the first three months of lockdown in cornwall so i got to go on long walks so and and just to be clear i don't just have arguments with my partner in my head sometimes other wonderful positive things are happening but on my walks is when i'd have my daydreams and my conversations and stuff and then i'd come home and uh and uh and pick up the conversation there as it were uh yeah it's uh it's interesting also like i'm someone who talks so much in my head it's one reason why i listen to podcasts constantly it's literally to quiet the voices or sometimes I'm joining in with those conversations. You know, sometimes I'll be like right now I'm listening to a fabulous uh, podcast uh, called We Hate Movies. And they're talking about uh, Maverick Top Gun, which they loved. And I agree. And uh, they're having a conversation about that. And I'm like, yeah, and this and that. <laughs> and that, you know. Uh, but yeah. What is it called We Hate Movies then? So they have – okay. So they have a Patreon <laughs> plug for these guys. Uh, so they have a regular feed called We Hate Movies where they do movies that they don't always hate. But they have a lot of things to say about right. them. Uh, they did one a while back now on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which as a child, I loved that movie. And listening to uh, uh, grown adults pick it apart, it's like, oh, yeah, that is weird. That is weird that that movie <laughs> did that. Like, um, but uh, and then they have a Patreon where they talk about the movies they love. So they have a we hate movies and a we love oh, movies. God. So the Maverick one is on their Patreon, uh, which, by the way, we have a Patreon. But that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. We're not talking about Patreons right now. But we do have one. Um, you should never return to this. I watched Donnie Darko recently that when I was 13 was the most profound film. Oh, yeah. And there's that bit where he goes, why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? Why are you wearing that stupid human suit? I was 13 went, <laughs> and I watched it again. I went, "This absolute wank." It really, it's such a, it's a weird thing because I first saw it. You know Ben Moore. Do you know Ben? Who uh, you might have met him at the. He's he's a wonderful uh, actor and and does writes his most beautiful uh, monologues as well, Edinburgh stuff. And and he went, "I've just seen this film. It's not out yet, but I've got it on VHS." Hmm. And so what I saw actually was quite a grainy version. So first of all, I was disappointed by the fact that when I saw it, it was far more pristine. I rather like mm. this almost eraser head effect. And then the other thing that really, I think the bit where I lost. 
lost interest in Donnie Darko was when I saw the director's cut. And you know when you see the director's cut and go, yeah, director... There was a reason for those cuts. <laughs> yeah. now, Ridley Scott knows how to do it. Ridley Scott's director's cut of Alien is shorter, not longer. Now, the opening of Donnie Darko starts with that fantastic Echo and the Bunnymen song. But that is not what the director originally wanted. He wanted In Excess for when he cycles down the mountain. And from that point onwards, I was like, not nothing against In Excess, but it's such a beautiful yeah. piece of, uh, with Echo and the Bunnymen. So from that point onwards, yeah, it has not aged no, but it's the thing, you, when you're a teenager, it's the most profound thing that you've ever, ever seen. But you should seen. never return. I mean, I think it is. It's very, very hard to work out what to return to. And then when sometimes people go back and go, it turns out that shit. And you go, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's just that your mind has changed. Like, mm-hmm. there are certain things that I've carried with me and that I still love. And there are other things which I never watch because I go, no, I'll notice the budgetary uh, constraints. I'll notice some of the acting and things like that. This was the most... I used to jump up and down on the bed when I heard the theme tune to that and run downstairs. Why do I want to get rid of that and go, well, actually, no, I'm 53. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm. And that's why a lot of men should stop watching Doctor Who and complaining <laughs> about it. And if they really want to come, start watching Tarkovsky, you lazy bastard. <laughs> Robin, we ask all of our guests for a neurodivergent moment, which is a little moment where you realise that your brain is different to the majority of people's brains. Do you have a moment for us? Now, firstly, I wonder if it is different to the majority of people's brains. This is something I'm intrigued by because there are so many people being diagnosed now. I wonder if it just turns out that enormous number of people have been to their own detriment you know, but that, that's just my hope my hope is that actually suddenly we're going to go wow there's a really small number of people who've, who've you know most people I think it might I be I would say it's an enormous amount of, people, enormous amount of comics particularly <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, there's so many comics you go oh yeah but obviously them as well yeah. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Not, not to give away the game but one thing about the neurodivergent moments is then our listeners go oh me too so right, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the uh, well I, I'm actually the one that I, I, I just thought about is it's a very very simple thing it's that whenever I go touring with Brian and I never notice this as much but I notice it so much now is uh, he'll once a day at least he'll go what on earth are you talking about no one understands you and that is such a sharp reminder of the fact that the people that I hang around with many of whom were not diagnosed uh, initially uh, but we've been hanging around together for 20, 30 or 40 years whatever it will be all have the reason you hang around with them is actually, it turns out, they don't find suddenly starting mid-sentence, suddenly not saying, hello, how was your Christmas, but immediately telling you about an interesting goat they saw that had been stuffed in a museum or whatever it might be, Mm. that that is normal. And so I think that is the one where sometimes you're just, you're in your group, your gang, and then you, you step out into a place where people are more, uh, I don't know, I won't say socially adept, but uh, socially obedient in their conversations. Mm -hmm. And then you go, oh, oh, I see now. And that, because I never used to think of it that way. I just thought, oh, yeah, I do talk about a lot with it. I mean, when I'm, you know, a lot of it I keep in. In certain environments, I just go, I just won't talk. Because I'm also, I'm not very good at having conversations with men because I notice that whenever men together, uh, it seems to be a lot about sport, politics and money. Mm. And that's and it's like and there's nothing about taxidermy and goats, and that's not my favourite subject. <laughs> yeah. But but that most recently that that was the one where I suddenly went, oh yeah, there's a reason, and this pattern of the people that you found who were the right people to be with are not that the other people are the wrong people to be with, but that awareness of it also reminded me of that that sense of being on the outside when you're keeping in your thoughts. Because you go, that's probably too weird. And, that, and my wife would always comment, she goes, why do you talk about such weird things when we go to parties and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'd go, but I just don't have. I'm not interested in the other. You know, those 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 things don't seem to exist for any other reason mm-hmm. than this is how we fill the space. Mm. Whereas me banging on about the work of Robert Rauschenberg, someone might go, I'd like to see, or talking about the horror show, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. that's what I want to do. And now I think I'm much better at just going, you know, I don't have to even start drinking just to go, and this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Brian Cox is your neurotypical friend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Window into the outside world. Yeah. yeah. He, he finds the number of times that I will just start saying something and go, no one knows anything you're talking about or any, you know, that always, no one under, no one's seen any of the films you've seen, heard any of the music that you've heard and then you go, but everyone that I, oh. <laughs> yeah. but, I must admit, I haven't seen some of the films that you have seen. Oh, but, no, I wouldn't expect. <laughs> I, I, I really but that's what's expect. so fun. Yeah. I love hearing other so people's stories. It, yeah. I will say, though, uh, uh, as we are wrapping this podcast up, uh, I've understood everything you've talked about this whole time, and it has been an absolute joy. It's beautiful. It's been wonderful. Uh, now, you're on tour. You've got some books. Please tell uh, the lovely listeners where to find you, how to find you, what's going on. This will go out. What? Is this going out next week? I think next week. Oh, yeah. shit. Oh, we got some editing. To <laughs> Just do. go to cosmicshambles.com. Cosmicshambles.com is where all the stuff that I do with Josie is, where all the stuff I do with Trent and lots of other people as well. And basically this year, most of it is just going to bookshops and libraries. And so if anyone out there uh, is a friend of a library or uh, runs a library or whatever, I'm very keen to get to more and more libraries. They're totally free shows. And uh, just because I know libraries are going to suffer and I know libraries are, again, another nice place for, for you know, neurodivergent kids and yeah. others you know the mm. library was a there was a lovely bookshop i went to in farnham called the blue bear bookshop and it's so great the blue bear bookshop it's called blue bear bookshop because sylvia's son sylvia who runs it uh he's autistic and he never read never read and then one day he opened the book the adventures of captain blue bear which is great fun he was 15 years old and he just read the whole thing in one fell swoop and just loves books and what's really nice is when i was talking to sylvia when i saw her two weeks ago is there's a few kids who uh, various areas on the autistic spectrum who come to the bookshop in their lunch hour and stuff because there's tables where they can just go and sit and they can eat their lunch and they know that it's a space that they can go to, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really great thing. So, yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'll, I'll be doing the Edinburgh Festival this year for the first time in years doing doing a full run. And then I'm just, I'm just going to lots of festivals and lots of bookshops and lots of libraries. It's a very, it's a very erratic tour. I mean, I'll, I'll be on tour the whole time, but it has no real structure to it. Yeah. And it has, you know, sometimes. It was interesting. I really found that when we did the huge tour last year, when I was doing the, sh- the tour with Brian Cox and that bit of playing to 14,000 compared to playing to 14. <laughs> and it is, and the 14,000 thing becomes very similar. You know, obviously it just becomes, and then the 14 is always changeable. And that's the one where, like between our Australian tour and our New Zealand tour, I had three weeks in between where we had to come back to the UK. And I just filled it with bookshops and events to do. And someone went, oh, God, it must be exhausting. I said, no, 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 this is the bit which is just invigorating yeah it fills you up so and and i managed even like when i saw you i think i'd been back from new zealand for about did you do the friday or the saturday i can't remember which saturday yeah so i'd been back from new zealand 48 hours by then but i've had 24 hours and i've now learned and i think again it's that kind of positive side of things and dealing with other stuff is uh you know i had a very long period as an insomniac and all those things and now i can just go uh jet lag i'm really sorry but i just don't have time there's a lot of things to do but i feel really exhausted when i have some time off but at the moment, so, no, I know. Just shut up, jet lag. There's mm-hmm. no time. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so thank much you for so coming. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Wonderful.
how's Robin Ince? I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. He's so brilliant. And uh, people should check out his stuff. There's some stuff on Go Faster Stripe. There's books. There's his bookshop tour. Um, He's so hardworking. There's always stuff, Robin. There's always more Robin Ince content to find. Yeah, 100%. He's always got a project going. Oh, by the way, I want to be super self-indulgent and just remind everyone that I'm doing the Leicester Comedy Festival on February 23rd. I really want to sell that. (laughs) It's a lovely (laughs) venue, lovely festival. There's absolutely no, uh, uh, what's the word for it? No smooth segue into it. It's just me whining <laughs> and begging. Guys, so it, can you please come? What what date is it? February 23rd at The Big Difference, uh, 9 p.m., I believe. And uh, tickets are at the Leicester Comedy Festival site or on my website, abagalaya.com. Cool. Go see Abigail. Uh, yeah. Go see me on tour as well. Um, yeah uh particularly in scotland where there's quite a few tickets left oh <laughs> but uh yeah. but the rest is selling well brighton sold out london sold out um other ones wait when are, you in, ones. when are you in london uh i am in london uh march sometime i think i say that like i'm going to come you just said you're sold out i won't be able to well, there might there might be a few sort of tickets put by for special people. Yeah, maybe um, I can so, stand uh, in the back of the room yeah, like a real might... comedian. <laughs> um, there might be a little bit of space at the back, but um, oh, for, for the civilians, it's sold out. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, so, sorry, guys, you might not be able to go to it, but I I might be able to go to it. But yeah, check out Joe on tour, uh, especially up north, and uh, Joe. We should do some neurodivergent moments. Yes. Do you have a neurodivergent moment of this week? Uh, yes, a personal one. Yeah, I have. A yes. Uh, so my neurodivergent moment is I went and performed on a cruise and was so proud of myself because I packed all of my luggage in a carry-on to specifically so I wouldn't lose my luggage uh, because I have fear of losing a luggage going on a cruise because if you lose your luggage at the airport, and your ship departs the following night and you don't have your luggage, you don't have your luggage. Like they Mm. don't, they don't put, they don't deliver it to you in the middle of the ocean. Anyway, I got back from the cruise and uh, had a transfer in Paris and uh, left my laptop in the security line uh, completely left my laptop in Paris. And that's not the neurodivergent moment because I know ADHD people, we're so forgetful. The neurodivergent moment is once I realized my laptop was gone the following day, I could not function for the rest of the day. Like it was just <laughs> destroyed. I had to sit around and be very sad about my laptop. Oh, I, f- I feel your pain. It's a horrible feeling having left something somewhere. Do you have a neurodivergent moment? I, I do. I'm worried that, okay, so what I'm worried about, I'm about to say is socially inappropriate, but what better podcast than this one is I would just like to say to you how incredibly you have integrated with British society because <laughs> I, <laughs> you okay. do jokes about being a loud American, but I've been on holiday to Mexico where there are lots of American tourists. Mm. And now I think you're incredibly like meek and mild mannered. <laughs> and uh, I genuinely, I, we met some lovely, they were lovely. And I love that um, 
there were there's a i think the one of the unfair stereotypes is about americans being like closed-minded they're all very interested in us and very interested in what they're doing and i felt very open-minded people but the true stereotype is they were loud um and we were uh, uh particularly at the so we flew into cancun then we went to to a place called player.com and then we spent some time in the jungle um cancun airport very loud americans <laughs> and uh i found that um very I, the loud voices i do find difficult um so my solidarity goes to any autistic people living in america <laughs> <laughs> The noise cancelling headphones have to work double if you live in the United <laughs> yeah, States. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, first of all, uh, nothing inappropriate about that. But I do <laughs> love the fact that that you're like, yeah, Abigail is American. Yeah, she's a little loud. And then you met Americans who live in the uh, uh, lower 48 and you're just like, oh, my God, I didn't know. She's really assimilated well. The progress <laughs> Abigail has made. Just so, and genuine, really, the rule, really lovely people, but so loud. Yeah. Just like a natural voice is there. Is it because America's bigger and you've got, you got to shout places because you're all far apart? I don't know. I, I really, I struggle to know why where we are like it is a thing we are louder we are just a mm. louder people i don't know why it is it might be because everything's bigger so you have more room so you're not always like so close together i i really don't know why we're like that <laughs> or is it just it, the british people are very very quiet and repressed is it the other way around maybe i mean i'm i assume probably if you went to like and, and we're like an emotional people too like i wonder if you went to like greece or italy if you'd be like they're allowed to because they're an emotional right people, you know i wonder uh i don't know i don't know why we're like this i will say uh, <laughs> one time tom and i were in paris this is a different time and uh we went to this like little restaurant you know uh like what are they called not a cafe but just really tiny beautiful little restaurant on the recommendation of alexis dubas slash marcel lucan it's probably the size of like my bedroom it was so small lovely little french restaurant Mm. uh one other group in the restaurant uh americans from the south and Mm. uh we could hear them their entire conversation and my and Tom looked at me and he's like, it's like we're having dinner with your uncles. Like, just, <laughs> And we're in this beautiful little French bistro. That's the word bistro. And it's mm. so, the food is lovely and the atmosphere. And the only other voices you can hear is that like, well, I mean, this is pretty good. Do you, I don't, what is bitch mail sauce? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, Jesus. Uh, hey, we have some listener neurodivergent moments as well we should read these uh okay so um mine comes from jasmine or yasmine depending on how you pronounce your name and it says hey i had a good laugh when deborah recalled losing her glasses as she was looking through through them i've done that as well it reminded me of a similar neurodivergent moment a few weeks ago i was in a rush to get out the door for work my boyfriend called so i was talking to him on the phone as i grabbed things and got ready i got into my car and did a final check that i had everything then my heart skipped a beat and i started looking around for my phone i couldn't see it 
anywhere. Usually I'd have put it on the seat beside me. Dude, I said to my boyfriend, oh, she must be American. She says, dude, too. Sorry. Jasmine, (laughs) Jasmine. Dude, I said to my boyfriend, frustrated with myself and thinking I'd have to go back in and get my phone and probably be more late because of it. Then I just started to laugh because as you'd have realized, I had been holding my phone and listening to it the entire time my brain sometimes i swear <laughs> that's amazing i've heard of the phone in the hand but never the on the phone to someone yeah. talking it's just to the someone. next level isn't it <laughs> Where's, i can't find my phone i can't find, that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing thank jasmine you. yasmin uh what what have you got joe what have you got i have one from vicky uh it says i shit you not My neurodivergent moment this week is that when I was trying to grab the email address at the end of the show so I could send my own moment, I had to replay that section of the show four times as I managed to get distracted each time it was about to be read out. Okay, so a quick edit. I sent this and it bounced back as somehow I still got the email address wrong. Um, I'm ADHD, and the ADHD is definitely in the driving seat today. Spacing out on rapidly jumping tasks and attention have always been a part of me. It often baffles me that I wasn't diagnosed until my mid-30s uh, from Vicky. So I'm just glad this this got to us in the end. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I, I see now the um, the typo in the email address because she's forwarded on the bounce back email. <laughs> email. Um, it's neurodivergent moments pod. Uh, uh-huh. Neurodivergent moments pod. That and that's the you made there, Vicky. when Abigailia learned what the actual email is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for uh, your willpower and to power through and figure out the email address. We're very the email glad address. I put. I think I put it in the show description as well. So if if anyone is uh, listening to this, then getting distracted, it's in there in the show description. You don't need to replay. It's in the show description. It is also pinned to our social. So if you go to Twitter or Instagram, uh, it's there. And of course, I will say it for you right now. It's Neurodivergent Moments Pod at gmail.com. We've done everything we can. <laughs> it's yes, in their uh, hands the best. It's, I believe in you. I believe in you. You can all do this. So guys, we're going to take a bit of a break as we do and uh, come up with a list uh, for season three. But while we're doing that, by all means, if you have a neurodivergent moment, please email it to us so we have a good collection for next season. And um, yeah, tell your friends about the podcast, rate and review it. We're going to record our book club about Steve Warmby's book coming up. We said, of course- Steve Warmby's we... book. Yeah. Did I say his name wrong? <laughs> he says Steve Warmby. Who's Steve? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) If there's a Steve Uh, Warmby out there, we'll review your book as well. (laughs) Yeah, we'll take a look. Uh, We're going to do our book club with Pete Warmby's book. Uh, And as always, we said we do it at the end of January. So I'm pretty sure we'll record it. Have it out by the middle of February. (laughs) (laughs) It will be out soon. But yeah. But I was going to say, it'll be earlier than that. No, well, actually, now I'm thinking about it, we'll be mid Feb. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, uh, but uh, I, I'm yeah. loving the book, though. By the way, I've, I've always yeah. finished it, and it's fantastic. So, I'm really um, enjoying it Patreon. myself. Yeah, so that's all on the Patreon, and uh, and there's a bunch of other stuff on the Patreon as well. If you're missing ND Pod uh, content, yeah, yeah, more stuff on the Patreon as always, and I think that's it. 
yeah, I think that's it. We will see you in March. We look forward to it. Bye. Bye.